is a word for us in the book of Acts chapter 1. If you don't mind standing with us this morning, Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 12. Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 12, and we'll read that down to verse 26. Acts chapter 1, verse 12. The Bible says it like this from the uh, English Standard Version. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. But he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Verse 18. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. It became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language a keldama. That is, the field of blood, for it is written in the book of the Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. Verse 21, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own place. And they cast lots for them, and they fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Will you pray with me? Father God, we pray that for these moments that you would speak to us through this text, that we will see you and know you better. God, thank you for who you are. Decrease me that you might be increased. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to talk today for a few moments about the people that God chooses. The people that God chooses. It, it is interesting to me, um, um, as Pastor Brandon talked about Harvest Point, our church there on the outskirts of Houston, how in the process of doing what the Lord has called us to do with the team of people that we have there, there are moments, if we're going to be honest, where sometimes we become overwhelmed. Sometimes in the process of doing church things and church work to the glory of God, sometimes our insecurities get in the way. Sometimes uh, uh, we just 
Don't feel like we can do everything, even though we know that the Lord has called us to do it. Sometimes we feel very regular. The beautiful thing about God is this, though, that God in his sovereignty uses and chooses very regular people to accomplish great things. And I I don't know about your church. I've been here for the first time here. Yes, I know some of the story, but I'm willing to believe that as you guys are pursuing what the Lord has called you to, even as intentional as you are with being multi-ethnic, I would imagine at moments it could get hard. It, it it, It can be challenging. But it's a beautiful thing to know what God can do with some very regular people. And we get to see a beautiful picture of this in the book of Acts chapter 1. Right here as we open up in verse 12 through 26, this is a moment where a great movement is about to happen, where this thing that we now know as the church is about to be born. And here it is in this moment, after Jesus has already died, after he's gone to the grave, after he has been resurrected, now after he has ascended and given the assignment to his disciples to go to Jerusalem in order that they might receive the Holy Spirit, this is a moment that something big is about to be born. That these disciples who are anticipating the move of the Spirit before Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, they have this great assignment before them. And so often when we talk about the disciples, we put them in this hall of fame of believers, and we should. But when you pull back the layers, what we remember is that the disciples too were very regular people. That God was about to use people who had their own issues to accomplish something great. In fact, I love the way the author here, Luke, lays out the name of each disciple. Yes, we know them already, but here it is. He reminds us of these very regular people. In fact, if we go back at verse 13 and just begin to recount some of the story of the people that God will use for his church It reminds us of how regular they really are. In fact, if you go to verse 13, it says, And they, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, and the Bible says, Peter, right, this de facto leader of leaders, this man Peter was one who was a disciple of the Lord. But when we really think about Peter, we also remember him to be a pretty regular guy. In fact, Peter would be the guy who would be likely to win the I'm-a-fight-you reward. He was that rash guy who would jump out of his emotions. He is the same guy who said to the Lord, I will never deny you, and then a short time later denied him three times. This Peter was called to this. But Peter had issues like everybody else. Moments of faith when he would walk on water, but moments where he had doubt, where he would begin to sink. And we too can relate to some of those Peter moments in our own lives to be reminded that just as God has called Peter, so has he called us. For he is a disciple, but he had some issues. Not only Peter, but look at the text. The Bible says, and John and James These two together, brothers called the sons of thunder, maybe because of their zeal for the work. 
But I don't know about you. I have siblings. Anyone have any, a brother or sister? I don't know about you, but where I come from in my house, there was often competition. And here it is, while the text doesn't give us all the background of their personality, what we do know is that they were people. And as people who have siblings, there may have been moments where there were interpersonal relationship issues And I can imagine for a moment James and John, who were both part of Jesus' inner circle, though John was known as the disciple that Jesus loved. Imagine being James for a moment. Like, okay, Lord, he the one you love. What am I, chopped liver? This possibility of regular people issues that might show up between siblings. Not only that. But the next person in the text is Andrew. Remember this, that Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist said, hey, Jesus is the one we ought to be following, Andrew went over to Jesus and went home and got his brother Peter and said, Peter, check this out. I found the Messiah. Come with me and let me introduce you to Jesus. Here it is. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus, but now Peter is the leader of the disciples. And again, maybe Andrew was cool with that. But if I introduce my brother to Jesus, I don't need my brother taking first place. I don't need him leading me. I got you to Jesus. You need to get behind me. Not not only that, remember, in the inner circle of Jesus with Peter, James, and John, James and John are brothers, Peter's there, but Andrew is not. Could you imagine for a moment the conversation that Peter and Andrew might have? Well, Peter might say to Andrew, listen, man, um, me and a couple of the guys, we're about to go hang out. We'll be back. I'll fill you in with everything and about to go do our thing. And Andrew might say, well, well, where y'all going? Let me, let me put on my shoes. Let me put on my sandals. I, I'll go with y'all. No, it's just a few of us. We're going to go fellowship a little bit. Well, who's there? Well, well James will be there. Who, well, who else? Well, James, John, their brothers, they're going to, he's going to be there too. Well, who else is hanging out with you? Uh, Peter? Well, it's going to be me, James, John, and Jesus. Jesus? Jeez, y'all, y'all, yeah, we're about to go up to the mountain and see tra- transfiguration, you know, do a little or something. It's going to be awesome. I mean, you can't come. It's going to be awesome. I'll fill you in later. Could you imagine the interpersonal issues? Here it is in the text that the writer Luke reminds us of these very regular people. The Bible says in Philip and Thomas. Philip, you remember Philip? Where Philip, who had been walking with the Lord, says to Jesus, show me the Father. And that would be enough for me. To which Jesus said, wait a minute. You've been walking with me this long and you don't know that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Why would Philip even be here? Because Jesus chose him. Not only did he choose him, Thomas Everybody knows about Thomas. History says Thomas was the one who doubted, like that's his resume. Why Thomas? I mean, if I'm there and I see these miracles and I hear this word when Jesus proclaims this kingdom message and I see him healed, me, Lawrence, if I'm there, I'm down all the way. Thomas, the doubter, why? Because Jesus 
chose him. Here it is. Bartholomew, also called Nathaniel, who had the audacity at the introduction of Jesus to say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right, right, fair. Jesus could have reasons. Like, no, brother, you go sit down. But he was here. Why? Because Jesus chose him. And Matthew, who was a tax collector, uh, you had fishermen a part of this group, and I don't know how they felt about Matthew being in the number. That Matthew, as a tax collector in that context, was one who was despised. And I'm willing to believe many watch Matthew come close to the Lord and people would question, why would Jesus hang out with a tax collector? Here's your answer, because he chose him. And the text, it says, that James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, by the way, this is a James who hardly ever gets mentioned. The other James we always talk about, but this James is just the other guy. And then this Simon is never listed in the text by himself. He's always counted with the number. And you would think that if these guys are walking with Jesus, then maybe we would get more information as to some of the stuff they did. Where was their voice? And we can question why they're even there, why they're even there until we resolve the fact that Jesus chose them. And even Judas, not that Judas, but Judas, the son of James. By the way, could you imagine being named Judas, knowing that the other Judas like, had a reputation? That every time someone came up to you, they said, hey, I see you with Jesus, I saw you with Jesus. What's your name? Judas. Oh, you're the guy. No, 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 no. Not that Judas. These guys listed in the text for us to remind us of how very regular they are, how they had their own issues, their own personalities, their own occupations, a different temperament. And here it is in verse 14, the Bible says, and all these were with one accord. Isn't it amazing by the power of God how we who have differences through the power of our Savior can still come together and be on one accord? Listen, that means at times there may be disagreements. There are times where I don't want to talk to you right now, but there is something that is deeper, that connects us, that brings us together on one accord. And here it is. You have these disciples with all of these differences, but the thing that brought them together is that they were all followers of Jesus. And so often, people are looking for the perfect church. I can't, I, can't, I can't go to that church because, you know, they're messy over there. Have you heard this before? They, you know, they, they, they talk about people a little bit at that church. I, I can't go over there because they get into cliques and nobody's able to get into that particular circle. I can't go over there. I'm looking for the perfect church where even as the church was being birthed, these were not perfect people. And if by chance you find a perfect church, the moment you walk in the doors, all of that changes. For we are imperfect people. For God can do amazing things with imperfect people. These individuals were together on one accord. And watch what the text said that they were doing. They were devoting themselves 
to prayer. It is amazing when we get to come together as a body of believers and pray together. That there might be people in the midst of the congregation that you don't know by name, but maybe you heard about something in their life. It is powerful when we can come together and pray. The Bible says that they were devoted to this. That if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, we have to be committed to prayer. I remember when I was younger, I grew up, in, grew up in a very traditional church. And we had these deacons who just knew how to pray. And in front of the church, they would place chairs. And these deacons, who you knew were waiting the entire week for this moment to pray. We had one deacon named Deacon Lee. And when we would get to church, he would already be in the front of the church on his knees, on a chair praying. And people would begin to walk in and just fall in. I mean, he would pray so long that I would walk in, I would get on my knees at a chair, begin to pray. I would fall asleep, wake up, take a snack, fall asleep, and he's still in the second part of his prayer. I mean, the brother just knew how to pray. And there was something amazing about this idea of people with differences coming together and being on one accord, devoting themselves to prayer. That God is giving us a model. That if we're going to be the church that we need to be, we have to be committed to prayer. For the Bible says they were there devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. These women who watched the ministry of Jesus, who showed up at the tomb even after he died. His mother was there and his brothers, who, by the way, did not even believe in him while he was living, but only after the resurrection. Even with all of these differences, they knew how to come together and pray together. And if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, we have to recognize that sometimes somebody go walk into church with an attitude. Sometimes we won't be feeling our best. Sometimes we might be upset with somebody else. But there's something at the base of all this, the fact that we are following Jesus that ought to push us to a place where we are on one accord and we know how to commit ourselves to prayer. That here in this text, even on the precipice of something great happening, we get to see these very regular people that God was going to use in an amazing way. The Bible says in that day that Peter stood up among the brothers, the Bible says that there were 120 people. Now, I love what the writer does here by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. In the introduction of this pericope, in the introduction of this section, he names the disciples. And then in the next section, he simply says there were 120 people. These 120 people may have included those before or a different group, but they were all in there. And here... In this text, in this moment, we get to see people who would never be mentioned by name, but represented a group just like the disciples who were expecting something amazing to happen when the Holy Spirit came. The question that I have for this church is, are you willing to be a part of that 120 not, not literally that number, but what it represents. 
Are you willing to be a person that you expect that God can do something amazing? That when someone walks through those double doors, broken and confused, that there is something about the people of God coming together, being on one accord, that can change that person's life. Do you show up with expectation? Or is this just perfunctory tradition, something we're used to doing on Sunday mornings? Or are you waiting for God to move in a way that will blow your mind? And here's the cool thing about the 120. Nobody may remember your name in history. Nobody may remember the work you did at the local church. Are you okay with nobody remembering your name and you just being satisfied as one who wants to follow the Lord and wait in anticipation to what he can do to a broader body? See, we often talk about Acts chapter 2 when 3,000 showed up, but before the 3,000 got there, God already had some folk who were waiting and expecting him to do something amazing. And no matter what the Lord does with this church, as you think through transitions and growth, whatever that looks like, are you waiting for God to do something amazing? Have you been following him long enough to see him move in your life and you can't wait to get that neighbor that our pastor talked about, that Pastor Brandon talked about, who lives right next door to you, who don't know the Lord? Are you just waiting for them to encounter the same Jesus that you know and have a life change? That's what this 120 represents. And here it is that Peter stood up among this group. And this is an interesting part of the text because you can just feel the excitement and the momentum and the expectation. And then Peter begins to dialogue about a person they had issues with. In fact, the text says it. I'll read it again. Brothers, and that includes those Believers there, the scripture had to be fulfilled with which the Holy Spirit spoke before and by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Yes, that Judas. Concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. I'm like, man, why you want to bring him up right now? We are excited. The Holy Spirit is coming. Peter is standing. 120 have gathered. We are waiting for what God is about to do. And you want to talk about Judas? Judas. And what Peter does is so beautiful. He reminds us that even in this journey, there are people who will break your heart. In fact, he lays it out like this in the very next verse. He says this. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Here it is that Peter is saying, we're not going to act like Judas when a part of this. I know it, it would be cool. And sometimes we know what it's like to have a person in your life who causes so much damage that you wish you could just forget about him. That Peter won't let them forget about him. That Peter says, uh-uh, we got to talk about Judas, y'all. For we knew what Judas was about. In fact, Jesus says in the book of John, chapter 6, verse 70, did I not call all of you? And that one over there is the devil. That Jesus knew what he was doing. And it's amazing, this relationship between Jesus and Judas. And by the way, this reminds us of 
uh, this reality that if this was made up, if the text wasn't real, now certainly those of us who labor through the text know that it's real, but if it were not, why would somebody even include this story? Why would somebody admit that Jesus chose Judas? And here in this moment, Peter is reminding them, Judas was counted among us, and not only was he one of us, but he had his own share of this ministry. Don't, don't try to forget him. He had his part that he became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. And what this reminds us of is the sovereignty of God, that even when you have Judas-like individuals in your midst, that God is big enough that even those who try to bring harm against you, that God is sovereign enough to still use it to his glory. That here in this text, Peter says he had his share in this ministry. In fact, he is the one that allowed Jesus to be arrested. And because Jesus was arrested, he was crucified. And because he was crucified, he was placed in a tomb. And because he was placed in a tomb, he resurrected from that grave. And because he resurrected, he ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father. And because of his ascension, the Holy Spirit is on his way and because we have the Holy Spirit we will have the church see Judas had his part in this ministry too so before we move on we're not going to act like he wasn't here and the truth of the matter is this that some of us who've had Judas like people in our lives, for some of us, when we were able to go through that difficult season, it pushed us to a prayer. It pushed us to a place of faith far deeper than we ever would have had, had we not had that experience. That God is sovereign enough to use even this guy to do a work that God desires. Peter stands and said, Judas had his share. Rushed down to verse 21, but it's time to replace him. I mean, he had his share. You know how it is. Once you get out of that moment with that Judas-like person, you learn some stuff. I'm not doing that again, amen. You learn some things. And so in verse 21, Peter begins to lay out the qualifications of this person that God would choose. And he says again, so one of the men who have accompanied us during the time, all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Peter says, now this is what we're going to do. We got to replace him, but we're not going to replace him with just anybody. We need somebody who knows Jesus all the way back from the time when he was baptized by John the Baptist and has an understanding of the resurrection. We, we don't want nobody playing with this. We, we, we messed with Judas. He had his share in his ministry. Things were fulfilled. But going forward, we need somebody else. So he begins to lay out these qualifications. And we read the text. He presents to Joseph and Matthias. And he goes to the Lord. 
And he said, God, you know the heart of men. See, sometimes we, we don't fully know people like we think we know them. Amen? Sometimes they put on a show, right? This is a decision that these disciples could not make by themselves. This is too heavy. Something amazing is about to happen. Lord, you know the heart of men. You know their thoughts. You know what they are thinking, what they do when nobody's looking. Here in this text, he says, Lord, tell us who's the next person. Tell us who we should go forward with. And the Bible says in the text, they cast lots for them, verse 26, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. You know, what's interesting about Matthias is this, that right here in this single verse is the only place that his name shows up in Scripture. Now, could you imagine this for a moment? Uh, if you're going to start the church, and historians have wrestled with this thing, if you're going to pick the next guy, it feels like this would be an appropriate place for the Apostle Paul to be counted amongst the, this number, right? Because when you look at the book of Acts as it's transitional, Peter is the leader in the beginning, and then later Paul steps in. It looks like somebody whose name would go down in history as one who's done amazing things would be chosen. People have questioned why Matthias, like we know nothing about him. What's his personality? I don't know. His mother's name. Who knows? Did he preach? Did he lead anybody? We have no clue. Then why is he here? God, you're about to do something amazing and start the church and you have these disciples and you've seen Judas and now God picks somebody amazing who we will talk about for generation after generation. Pick somebody that everybody will know. Why did you pick Matthias? Because he wanted to. <laughs> and that's, it's that simple that God is so sovereign that he picks whoever he wants. And no matter how regular they appear to be, God is showing us that I'm not depending on them with their own strength and might, for I am the one who's powerful, and I can do amazing things things through very regular people. And here it is, church, that no matter how smart you are, no matter your socioeconomic status, no matter your degrees, your relationships, when you pull all that back, you're just a whole lot of regular people. But here's the good news. God can do something amazing with regular people. Just in case you've ever tried to disqualify yourself, just in case the work of even being a part of this very intentional church becomes difficult, just in case you get to a place where you think that you don't have enough in you to complete the task, be reminded that throughout history, the only people God use are regular folks. 
and that God will use you to accomplish great things. For we are the people that God chooses. Father, we thank you. We thank you for a chance to consider your sovereignty and look back in history just to see how you chose in the past that God, by your own will, you choose us. And God, as your local church, let us be like the disciples in that we are committed to following you. And we are believing by faith in Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. And because he died for us, we are privileged to be those who will inherit eternal life. Not because we're so smart ourselves, but because before we chose you, you chose us. So, God, we celebrate you today. God, for this church and all churches that are gathering in your name, we thank you for using us. Because it's through us that we desire your will be done. Thank you for those you chose in the early church and those you choose even today. We love you in Jesus' name. And we all say amen. God bless you today.